Good morning. The children are dismissed to Children's Church slowly. Praise. Praise the Lord. says to train up a child in the way that he should go and he will not depart from it. Amen. God's word does not return void. And what that means is the word is living, right? Every promise of God, everything that he's spoken in our heart, that he's written down all these years as it's in the word of God. As people were inspired, they wrote down what the Lord had put on their heart. You're talking dip people from different nations all coming together. And God watches over those promises. He's faithful. He is not a liar, as some of us know about lying and liars. God is not a liar. What he says he will do, he will do. And it's whether or not we trust and have faith in him. Amen. I say that because, you know, you can hear something and you could, there's a method, but the word of God is powerful. It is living and active. And that means as you study it and read it, you might think it's not making an impact at that very moment. But later in your life or another trial down the road or something that you're dealing with and you're asking God for guidance, he will bring that scripture and bring it right back at the right time because you are feeding yourself with the word of God. Every question, every struggle, every trial, the wisdom that we need to live in this world, we have it right here. Every life in here is someone going through something or they did, maybe even worse or more crazy than what's going on in your life, is right here and how they dealt with it in a way that's real. Shows all their faults, right? I mean, I don't know about you, it's the most encouraging thing in the world is that God is faithful because we live in a world where a lot of people are not faithful. A lot of things, it's hard to put your faith in uh, people in the world, right? Or things for that matter. So if you turn with me to Romans chapter 3 is where we're going to start, where we've been at, Romans 3. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that, Lord God, you do watch over your word. You watch over everyone in this room. When we place our trust in you, when we patiently wait upon you, when we acknowledge you in everything, you direct our paths, you give us strength. Lord, you give us the help that we need in times of trouble. Lord, I thank you that we can call upon you. I thank you that you've made a way for us, that, Lord God, we, we have become righteous through the sacrifice, Lord God, of, of you dying on the cross so that we may know you. And so, Lord, you know everybody in this room, every child downstairs, everyone working, you know where our hearts are, where we are individually. And so, Father, I thank you for that. And I ask that we would be moved by your word today and blessed by it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. When you think about it in, in this sense, you know, performance, we all want to perform well. We want to do well. It's important to feel like we're doing our best. And we're always looking at how someone else might be doing but God never intended it for, to be that way in, in our walk with him. 
I mean, when you think about it, he never intended for us to have a king. He wanted to be our king all the way back in the day. When, to the Israelites, he wanted to be their king, but they didn't want that. They wanted to have a king like everybody else. They were too busy looking at other nations instead of looking at what God wanted to do specifically for them. And they wanted what they had. And why did they want that? Probably so they can blame someone else when things don't go right. They wanted someone to look at. But God wanted to be their king. He even warned them. He never wanted to initiate these things that took place, but the law was given simply to show us that we need him. It was given to show that we will come up short, no matter how hard we try. And some of us try really hard. Some of you are raised in a home where it's, it's, it's very performance-oriented, or maybe you were raised that way, so you, failure is not an option. You, you, you're so hard on yourself, and people maybe aren't even really doing that to you, but you do it enough to yourself. You, you put yourself in this place, and even when it comes to your walk and your faith, you apply those same things. This is the difference. God wants to see his word written on your heart more than your outward performance. We all know what is genuine, wouldn't you agree, today? I mean, look at it this way. It's, there's a little a way to, to just, okay, how many of you know the difference from a worship song and a hip Christian song? Right? Can you tell a difference? It's not a judging thing. One's more for entertainment, but one's more for worship, right? You can hear how they, they want to apply the things of the world and try to make them cool and, and relevant. This is it. The power of God and the word of God is at the cross and knowing that we need a savior is where all of it begins. Our growth begins, our life begins, our restoration begins. When Paul was writing to the Romans, he knew that a majority of them were still having their foot in their religious tradition because it was something that they could easily control. And then the other group was more like, hey, how much of the world can we still possess and do? And he's speaking to two groups and in the midst of it, he's reminding them of what God intended and wanted. God wanted the law written on our hearts. That was always the plan. Even with Israel and their stubbornness in the wilderness, when it was written on the tablet, it was to show that, yes, you're going to set up priests and all these things so that you can become clean, you can walk in newness. And, and God would reside in the temple in the desert. That's where the presence of God would be. And today, the new covenant, the presence of God is to be in every one of you who are professing Christians because you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that is where we are to be in, in that type of intimate relationship with him. I just think it's easier to become one of form and function sometimes and saying this is how I can control this. But when it comes to our walk with God, I don't know about you, but I, in my life, God likes to turn things upside down and shake it a little bit to show me he's still working and desires to still stretch and change things in my life, amen? You cannot be stagnant in your walk with God and expect to grow in faith. You cannot be stagnant with where you're at. You have to feed yourself in the word more than just on Sunday because that's what you're gonna pull from when you're in the, in the fire, when you're in the, the darkness, when you're in that place where you wanna just throw the towel in or give up or you're scared, all those things, those moments, God will pull from these things for you. Sometimes he uses people, but I believe God wants us close to him, amen? And so the key that we have in Romans, if you remember earlier, there's the, in, I'm just gonna, because we're going into chapter four, but we're gonna be at the end of three. 
But in chapter 2, there's one part I want to just bring back to your remembrance. What was happening was that the, the, the Israelites at this time, or the Jews, were saying, hey, we're from Abraham. We're already in. We shouldn't have to work as hard as everyone else. We, we, he gave us the law. He gave us these things. Well, the Gentiles, get this, they had, some of them haven't even heard the law, and they were doing what the law says because it was written in their heart. The conviction of God was in their heart. The Holy Spirit was speaking to them. They were doing things they didn't even know they weren't raised in. There was just a difference about them. And that's what he says in two. I want to remind you because it's encouraging. It says, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witnesses, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. In other words, they instinctively obeyed it even though they didn't hear it. Inside, the Lord put it in their heart. It demonstrated God working in their heart, right? And that's what he always wanted to do. We have it in Jeremiah 31, 33. It speaks about, you know, the Lord doesn't want to, he wants to put his law upon our mind and write it upon our hearts. It wasn't so much to be on the tablet of stone. He wanted it on our hearts individually. And think about what that means about you and your walk with God and your relationship. It reminds me of when, when Jesus says to the disciples, he's like, who does man say that I am? And they're like, oh, you're a prophet. Some say Elijah, some say this. And he says, and I can almost, I feel like he would have reached in and looked at him closely in the eye. And maybe even put his hand on their shoulder and say, but who do you say that I am? Who am I to you? Don't worry about who I am to them. Who am I to you individually? And when you think about God's love like that, it is hard for us to grasp. I don't think, I mean, we, it's, we, we don't even know what to do because we, it's hard to get and ask for help in the first place with just normal things in life, right? And it's hard for us to believe that, well, I can't accept this because there's some really bad people in the world and how could he forgive them? We look at everything else, but who is God to you? Well, why is it, who is God to you individually? Who is he to you right now? Who is he to you when you go home? Who is he to you when you are scared or when you are mad or when you are angry? Is he your king of kings? Is he, do you recognize that he has you, that he's the author and the finisher of your faith? He watches over his word. The things that he has done in you and through you, he can continue to do. How many of you, if I asked everyone, a lot of you have prayed for things, God has given you those things, but yet in our mind we can still doubt and wonder if he'll do it again. Anyone? We do that, don't we? We wonder, is he going to be the same yesterday? Yes. Because he even put, I'm the same yesterday, today and forever. He does not change. He's the only constant in this world is the word of God. It will not fail you. The problem is we don't align ourselves with it enough to be grasped and held by it and changed by it. We just want a quick fix. And guess what? Your life isn't a quick fix. God has to take the mess you made. And you're like, well, I really, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to take this off. And then we're like, why does he just do that to me? I want to leave. Because he's healing. He's restoring. It's like your kid's not understanding why you tell them no. And you, you've maybe tried or we try to tell them, and you know it's just not going to hit. They're not listening. They're hearing one word that pops out that aligns with what they want. And then you told you what you said you'd do it. And like, what? Not even in a sentence. 
right? We do the same thing with God. We're like, well, there's no negotiating. There's no negotiating. It's God, either I want you or I want, I want to know you. I'm struggling with that. I want to give you everything. Because that's when the change really happens. The Romans weren't getting it. Some of them were really good at playing church. They were really good at having the Christian words down. There's Christians that know the word of God inside and out. You would think they're stable as you could be, and they are not stable at all because they don't apply it. Or they have unrepentant sin in their life, and they're not willing to give that up, and they somehow think they're fooling God. God knows, and he works, and when we say no, that's as far as you're going to go until you allow him to have that part of your life. And you're like, well, what do you mean by that? I think everyone in this room knows where you are, where you hold back from God. It's not so much about, the, it's not just the sinful things, it's just your time sometimes. It's not like the do's and don'ts as much as you just haven't yielded this part to him yet. So when we look at Romans, think about it. These people were actually walking evidence of God working in their life. As we are to be today. It is no different. If you remember in chapter 3, which I love, it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. Doesn't that put us all at the same level? Doesn't that a great place to start? We all get to start over at the same time, and we're given the same supplies. And we get to choose what we want to do and how we do it. We can choose to serve him and seek him or choose to continue to chase the world. And I'm wondering, like, well, what does it look like? Because I think there's not a perfect person that doesn't do really well and then struggle. I mean, we know that in the Bible. Look at Elijah. He, he was battle of Carmel. God brought fire down from heaven. And then after this great moment, this great experience, you will, of God, what happens? Jezebel says she's going to kill him, and he gets scared to death and go, runs and hides in a cave. The same guy that God used mightily took his eyes off the prize, and now he's in a cave hiding, scared, praying, God, I'm the only one still seeking you. Have you ever felt like you're the only one in a situation or the only one that understands? God understands. God sees and knows all things. He knows every weakness and all of our strengths. So when I think of this, I think even in there, we're all have sinned, and he makes it very clear. And he's even speaking to the religious. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. They, they're poisonous vipers in their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. They ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. They don't even know peace. They are in constant chaos. These are some religious groups, by the way. Constant chaos. No peace. You can be in peace in a storm if you're walking with the Lord. You, might, you don't even have to have all the answers. You know why? Because you're walking with the Lord. You'll feel his presence, and you can't make sense of what's happening in front of you, but you know that he is with you. And I don't know how to put words on it because I can tell you about my experiences, but you need your own. And the way you get your own is by yielding to him and trusting him. And we're going to see where someone in the Bible does that because he's no different than us. The same doubts, the same frustrations or unbeliefs that we all can struggle with at times. They in the Bible also struggled. But they made a choice. And as long as we continue to choice and make the right choices and fill ourselves with the right things, because we can fill ourselves with the wrong things. 
You can self-medicate yourself right into da danger, right? Well, I just need to take the edge off. And I'm not talking just to people that have to feel like they got a drink to deal with stuff or use whatever. I'm talking, it, it could be something else. It could be a healthy thing for your body and it still is not a substitute for the word of God. You know what I mean? Why do you think it's so enticing to run to so many other things? Because the very one thing that will hold us is right here. And the enemy doesn't want you to, the enemy doesn't want you to get in there. Because he knows what will happen. He knows how it'll help you and change you. So when we're looking, and this is it, the key to all of that, this is what it is. You can, if I could put it in one sentence. Why did all this happen to these people that looked really good on the outside, but had no inward change? The fear of the Lord was not before them. They had no fear of God. Well, one, we knew that they just thought they had already obtained it. And then there was others that just, like, I'd rather not think about God. It doesn't mean that he does not exist because someone chooses to say that they're an atheist. Right? I bet you if we were on the deathbed with many atheists, they bring that into question towards the end. Right? When we think about it, people usually, if you look at any of those things, and I'm not encouraging you to do so, but as a pastor, I've looked at all kinds of different arguments, and all of them stem with this underlying thing of where they have been hurt or harmed, and they're bitter, because you could see it come out in their argument. It's not about facts. It's about, I was harmed, and I'm angry, and that's coming out in this, and they're trying to disguise it. The truth is, we don't know even how to, half our brain works. Scientists will tell you that. Am I wrong? We, there's parts of our brain we don't even understand how they function, but yet we can understand God in the universe and say that he doesn't exist? I mean, you don't have to be a scientist to know that that's just absurd. The way that a baby knows how to hold its, its breath or whatever, if you will, while it's still connected in the mother's womb. I mean, think about all the intricacies of life that are perfectly held together. Just one moment off, one second off, one molecule, and we wouldn't be here. The fact that you're living and breathing in this room and you made it in your automobile here this morning is an act of God. And we were like, I want to see a miracle. Look in the mirror. You're functioning. Your heart has electricity beating constantly thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of times. God, who gives us the spirit of life, he spoke it and the, spoke the words and that living. And, and that, I mean, God brought life. It's even the word spirit. Pneuma means breath, wind. We can't explain it, but you're in it. You're breathing right now. God gave you that. He breathed into man and woman in Genesis and they became a living being. We were meant to know and walk with God. But all throughout history, just as they did, we too can look at everything else and look at someone else to lead, someone else to guide, because it's hard to sit and patiently wait upon the Lord and even know that he is good because we're so anxious to get there ourselves. We're so anxious to fix it ourselves. I love how it says over and over again, be still and know that I am God. Those that wait patiently upon the Lord will renew their strength, right? And will soar as eagles. Those, there's a condition. It's, it's a promise with a condition. You must wait upon God. Then the renewal comes. You mean it doesn't come when I want and how I want? No. 
It comes the way that lasts. Amen? When I look at this, I think of just the wonderful examples that we have. There's a righteousness that comes through faith. And he's saying, hey, this is it. The Gentiles are getting it. They're walking in a newness of life because of their faith. While people are looking down on them. There was religious groups that were looking down. And you know what? They knew that they had Jesus. And there was evidence of that working in their life. They were obeying the law without ever hearing it. They were doing what's right. Because you know what? I think God has deposited in us. We know when something ain't right. And we test the boundaries. until we're, Or we do it so much that we're calloused. And we think it's okay. But just because you break the oil light in your car doesn't mean you're out of oil. Or you have oil, right? I don't want to see the warning light. So I'm going to break it and fix it. But then your car breaks down. Some people, we try to do that with our conscience. We want to have it seared. We want to harden it by bitterness and anger, as it says in the word. And we think we're getting somewhere that we're tough, but we're not. Inside, we're dying. And that's why God is a rest restorer of our souls. Amen? So as I continue to look at this, we're going to get into the life and example that we have from Abraham. And if you would turn over to chapter 4, Romans chapter 4. Now, even in the old text, even the apocryphal text of the Old Testament, in other words, the historical stories of Abraham, he was said to be a man that followed the law completely. He was said to be a man, and this is why Paul is bringing him up as an example to some of the religious group in the, in the body here. He's saying to them, Abraham, he wasn't righteous because of the law. He was righteous because he trusted God especially when God said that he would be the father of many nations. He's a hundred years old. Sarah's womb doesn't work anymore. Out of order. And the promise comes and says, you're going to be the father of many nations. It wasn't the works. It was the obedience and the faith. It was a substitution. In other words, the faith is what brought righteousness or justice for him was faith. Trusting that God was faithful to do what he said he could do. And that doesn't mean it was easy. I don't see anywhere in the Bible, please show me if I'm wrong, where anybody who had to trust God, it was easy. It's not going to be easy. But we all know that if, you, if there's no work for something or seeking him in the sense of trusting and being waiting, I think that's the work for most of us, just waiting on the Lord. Waiting to get the right direction. Trusting that he knows the outcome better than we do, right? Abraham, he's using him as an example specifically for this reason. In verse 13, 413, it says, It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by the law are heirs, faith has no value, and the promise is worthless. Because the law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. In other words, we know that the law tells us, hey, we're not supposed to do this. We desire it. We do it. We know that there's transgression. There's wrath. There's consequences for our actions. It shows, it's like a speed limit sign, right? Don't speed. But we all try to see how much we can feather it right over the top, just a little. How much can you get away with? Not all of us, but some of us. Some of us drive so far under that we're afraid of even getting in trouble. The point is, Without the law, we wouldn't know. But we know that with the law, we can try. And even in your efforts, in your best efforts, it's going to fail. Because it really comes down to faith. Trusting God. 
And it says in verse 16, Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and by guarantee to all of Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith. That's us, people, of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls those things as not as those they were. God calls things that don't exist into existence. He spoke this world into existence. Logos, the spoken word. In the beginning was the word. The word was God. The word was with God. The word in the beginning. He holds all things together and everything that consists, what? For his glory, as it says in Colossians, right? God holds it all together. He's the creator of everything, and the word of God is powerful and living, and he speaks those things as not as though they are. So when Abraham says, how is it going to be possible? I'm an old man. God likes to work in the impossible. God likes to, why? What's the main reason God does that? Hmm? Our faith in his glory And he doesn't share his glory with, in other words, we need to know it's all God. All we do is this, and wait, and walk. When he says walk, we walk. I mean, there is effort in that sense, but we don't get ahead. When you're like, well, I don't know if I can ever get out of this, trust God. He'll tell you what to do. And you'll know because your flesh won't want to do it, but you'll know in your heart of hearts you need to do it. Have you ever had that, the Holy Spirit come upon you and give you something to say at the right time and your heart starts burning and you know you should say it, but you're like, I don't know, I don't want to offend anybody, but you know you got to say something in love, right? And it's so powerful. And then the the Lord confirms it and someone says, thank you. You had no idea. And you're like, oh, you feel the presence of God for a moment. You're connected. There's a testimony now that's developed because you were obedient and they received it. And you're experiencing God in a way that is amazing. And it only comes from obedience. See, God always wanted obedience. We want our kids to obey, right? Because we love them. We want them to make good decisions, right? And we hurt when they don't. We hurt when they're not ready to hear things. Or maybe we're not the ones to say it. I think it's the same with God. God gives us these things so that we can understand him in a a unique way. We can understand he loves us so much that he gave us his only begotten son, something none of us would do because we understand the depth of love for someone that's yours. But yet he's showing how much he loves us, those that would reject him. It's a love that you cannot have apart from God. It comes from God. It comes from God. It's an agape type of love. It's a self-sacrificing type of love. And this is something I want to read to you. It's in uh, 4.18, it says... And I like how it says this, against all hope, does that sound hopeless? Say against all hope. Against all hope. Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. He had an active part in the sense because he believed his faith was the catalyst. He believed and had hope, even though it was against all hope. God likes to work. There's things in your life, wherever it is. It could be 
just getting out of this darkness that you have or your mindset that is not helping you or anyone around you, you can give that to God, but you have to walk in it. I believe 100% God heals and restores and removes things in our life. If we go back, it's harder, yes, but God is still faithful still. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact. Listen, to this. we're talking about facts now. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. And I like this. Since he was about 100 years old. You think you have a hard time rolling out of bed. Now picture that and God says, you're going to do this. And you're like, that's not even factually possible. There's no science to back that up. It's not going to happen. And God says, yes, it can happen. Because I call those things as not as though they are. So when we are a new creature in Christ Jesus, isn't it exciting to know that God sees the new you, the new person that you can be, not given into fear, not given into the lust and the cravings of this world, that you are a new creature? He doesn't look at you the way you look at yourself. Praise God. He looks at you through the blood of Christ. And it's a more of a disappointment when you aren't rocking in the right direction because the wrath of God is there. It will come up on those who continue to live in a life of darkness and choose these things. You can't blame God for that. But he is faithful to give you the bumpers that you need. I believe God gives us the perfect bumper car in this body. And he will get and put people in your path to where you are willingly ignoring him. Willingly choosing to do something different. But when you taste and know that the Lord is good by being obedient and faithful and you experience the Holy Spirit just wash over you and take these burdens that you've been carrying, backpacks filled with weights that you weren't meant to, and you can give it to God and trust him, it is so freeing to know that you don't have to figure everything out. You don't have to solve all the world's problems you weren't meant to. You were meant to be under the hand of God and allow him to move through you. And don't underestimate the smallest act of kindness when you want to give glory to God in your life, in your service, wherever God may find you. Don't let the devil tell you you're not making a difference because guess what? He tells us all we're not making a difference. And when you're broken and down and out, God will send something along to let you know, yes, I was there then. I held you then. I'm making a difference now. When we make it all about God and we want to give him glory, you will be amazed at what he will do through you. And the devil hates it. He hates it because he doesn't have it. He chose a different path. And he hates us for it. And all he can do is lie and deceive you and steal your time and your mind. Oh, he loves the mind. And some of us just give it to him willingly. Think about this. God has, says his mercies are new every morning. He's given us everything we need to live a new life. And what is that life like? It's trusting God and sharing that life with others. And when you get to see someone else get that realization that they're forgiven and they don't deserve it and God is a God of love and he's a still a God of judgment, but you understand that I don't deserve that love, so I want to give that to you. And you watch barriers break down. You're watching God move. It's powerful. And we're going to see a lot of that in the way this world is going. We're going to see things. You could go, oh, it's never going to get better. Not the way you expect. But God is in control. 
and he's faithful. And our foundation is sure. No storm will rock against you that can make you falter when you are standing on the word of God. Nothing. When you are putting yourself in the right position, God holds you. And he even holds us sometimes when we're not there. But we know that we are stable in this spot. Is it because you're a good person? It's because he loves you. A friend of mine said something to me the other day that really blessed me. And just as, as Abraham here, he, he had to recognize that, hey, there's no way this is going to happen. It's all God. I'm going to trust him, right, as we see in the text and continue to even read that. He would not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded. You know what persuasion is if you're into sales. You understand what that means. You create the need. You create all the things, and you do this. He's saying he persuaded himself to trust God even though the facts said, not going to happen. We learned last week Noah did that. I want you to build a big boat. No one even knows what that is, really. And I want you to do it in front of all your neighbors while they mock you every single day. And then it makes me think what Jesus said. Hey, if they, if they hate you, don't get upset about that. They hated me first. And if you're in me, they're going to hate you because of that. The very presence of me in your life makes people uneasy. You don't even have to say anything. When you sit with the Lord and you're putting yourself underneath God and the Holy Spirit, people take notice on your countenance. They also take notice when you're not, right? So I want to read this to you before we go out for the, the fun today, but think about this for a second. God in his faithfulness gives us this example. And I was thinking of David here because, and a friend of mine read this last night, I mentioned it last night, and it just stuck with me. I woke up thinking about it this morning, and that's why I'm reading it now. He says to me, what effort did we have in being plucked out of the miry clay? And then I thought about how you can give yourself, how many of you have been really stuck, right? You can exert, and you just realize you're not getting out. Especially really thick, horrible clay, right? The miry clay, it's heavy. Who knows how deep he is? And you know, no, you can get, you can die of suffocation just being probably that much clay, right? Whatever. The point is, plucked out. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting. I, I guess I didn't deserve to be plucked out, and I didn't work hard enough to get plucked out. I probably got myself in the mess. I can say I did that. But when it came to being healed and restored, and then I, looking it up, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. And the word in the translation, turned, he actually bent down. In other words, he's in a close proximity. Back then, I'm praying, I'm worshiping God, but he turned to me, right? He, I prayed and sought the Lord, and I was patient, key word, patient. I called out to him, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit and out of the mud and mire, and he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He gave me stability. But I waited patiently. He gave me stability, a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside or to false gods. Many, O oh Lord my God, are the wonders that you have done, the things you planned for us. No one can recount to you. Where I swear I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. 
You're so faithful in your wondrous works. I couldn't even take a lifetime to declare your goodness, O God. You have taken me from the miry clay and gave me a stable place to stand. This world is not stable, but you don't need to worry about that because God will take you from this world and give you a stable place to stand as you wait patiently upon him and trust him in your day-to-day routine and make him a part of it. He is faithful. He is faithful to his word, filled with faithless people. God is faithful. As it said in two, may God be true and every man a liar. What does that mean? People will let you down. And even though these people thought their religion would get them there, it wasn't going to. God is still faithful to his word. And many nations, even back then, God knew the Gentiles, those who were not born of that descent, the Jewish descent, are in the kingdom of God. There is no wall like it says in Ephesians. God planned it this way. Because God seeks those that will seek him with their contrite heart, a full heart, a broken heart. Amen? Did you know that? What are the sacrifices of God? A broken and contrite heart. It says that right there in Psalm 51. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. In other words, someone that has come to an end of themselves and they're no longer wanting to fill their life or run after their desires, they're willing to give it all to God so that he may be glorified in their life. And in doing so, they're not only stable, they're well, their life seems to go better in the midst of any storm because they put their trust in he who can be trusted. Amen. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are faithful when, Lord, that we can make all the promises in the world to you and say things. And Lord, help us know that, God, you know where we're at. You know, and just we ask the conviction of your Holy Spirit to continue to work in our life, to reveal those things that do not glorify you. Our struggles that, Lord God, when we hear all the, the voices and the things of this world, Lord, the things, our own, our own desires, our own thoughts, When they don't line up with your word, Lord, bring it to our understanding. May your word speak loud, louder than all the noise around. And may we desire, and those in this room desire to really be in the word individually, that they would call to you, that, Father, we would grow as a church on this corner in a a way that would be a light in so many ways in our, our jobs, in our workplace, and where we go and who we talk to, that we would remember that we are a child of God and that, Father, you love that person just as you have loved us. And so, Lord, give us that wisdom, the passion to walk in the light that you've given us to walk in. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for everyone here. I pray for your safety and your blessing over today and the food that's outside and the kids that are downstairs. And, Lord, we, may we just have that blessed time of, of getting to know each other and just uh, hanging out. And I just thank you so much for your goodness. And all of God's people said... Amen. And if you need prayer, we're here to pray for you. Um, If you have kids in the basement, we encourage you to go down and get them. Because, as you know, they can be overwhelming. So we want to make sure they're all corralled.